Good morning. How are you? I'm Rob. I'm one of the pastors here at River Cross Church, and we're just so glad that you chose to join us, especially on a day like today, uh, that you'd get up and get out of the house. And uh, we hope that as, as you're meeting with us today, that the Lord's kind of speaking into your life in a, in a real meaningful way. I don't know um, how many of you ever did this as a kid, but maybe you on Christmas morning compared the gifts that you got to the gifts that other people got. Maybe about lunchtime or so, you would uh, call a friend of yours and ask them, kind of, hey, what did you get? And the whole time, you're kind of interested in what they got, but really you're kind of comparing what you received to what they received. Anybody ever do this? Or maybe you did this just even within your own family. Maybe you had siblings, a brother or a sister, and uh, you were kind of watching them open things, and you were comparing what you got. I saw a parenting article this week that talked about kids who would actually weigh their stockings. And they would weigh them to see if their stocking weighed less than their sibling's stocking. Or other kids would go, they'll go online on Amazon and they will add up the gifts that they received and kind of figure out how much everything cost. And then they will compare it to the gifts that their siblings received. Some of you are going to write that down and say, yeah, I think I'm going to do that this year. <laughs> well, today we're going to look at a passage in John chapter 10, which uh, compares a story that took place in John chapter 9. And these comparisons will only make sense if we really understand what happened in John chapter 9. So let me tell you the story of John chapter 9 two different ways. First, kind of a modern way, and then uh, go back to the actual story from John 9. Listen to this story first. A young guy hangs up his phone, and he cannot believe what he's just heard. His good friend has just been kicked out of the church. And she has just called from the parking lot crying. She'd gone away on a retreat with some of her young adult friends and had a profound experience of the Lord while she was there. She had come back and she was speaking to some of the leaders of the church about what she'd experienced, and to her surprise, they were angry. They started asking her about who led this retreat and what church or ministry was responsible, what was her theological position, who was the speaker, what was his training. And she was a relatively new Christian, so she really had no idea, and she couldn't answer any of their questions. All that she knew was that she had met the Lord in a powerful, life-changing way. So with every question, she answered honestly and said, I don't know, which only seemed to make the leaders in the church more upset. Finally, after another round of forceful questioning and in frustration, she said to the leaders, maybe you would have benefited from going to this retreat because clearly you could have used it as well. And then one of the leaders told her to leave. And he didn't mean just kind of like leave right now. He meant leave for good. You're finished here. Go and find a new church home. And he kicked her out. So the friend receives this phone call. And all he can picture is his friend standing outside of the church building in tears. While the church leaders on the inside are deciding who comes in and who goes out. That story is a modern telling of this story, John chapter 9, where Jesus and his disciples come across a blind man. Jesus heals the blind man, and as soon as this man starts to celebrate and the word gets around of his healing, the religious leaders pull him aside and have a number of questions for him. Who was it that healed you? What were their qualifications? Why did he do this on the Sabbath? And so on. 
The man is unsure and unable to answer any of these questions, and he keeps kind of saying, I don't know. At which point, the religious leaders and the powers that be hurl insults at him, and they end up kicking him out of the temple, not just for the day, but for good. These religious people who were supposed to be in tune with God, who were supposed to help God's people in ways that they could know him better, who were supposedly to embody the character of a gracious God, excommunicate this man from his spiritual family. This is the story of John chapter 9. The passage that we're going to look at in John chapter 10 is a response by Jesus to this very story and to the way the religious leaders treated this man. So let's look at it together. John chapter 10, turn with me if you will. We're going to look at verses 11 to 18. John chapter 10, Jesus' response to the story of the man getting kicked out. Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks and the, flo- the flock and it scatters. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep, they know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. There's two comparisons in this story that Jesus makes. Jesus introduces himself as the good shepherd. And in every time Jesus uses a metaphor like this, he's opening a door so we can look in and see the heart of God and see what God is really like. And with all of the metaphors that Jesus has used to describe himself, they all find themselves starting back in the Old Testament connected to this long story of God who's been actively at work among his people. And this metaphor of a shepherd is no different. It's been one of God's favorite images to describe how it is that he will look after and care for his people as a shepherd looks after the sheep. But in this passage in particular, the first comparison is easy to see because Jesus is contrasting himself as the good shepherd with these religious people whom he refers to in this in the first part of these verses as the the hired hands. This hurtful experience of this guy being kicked to the curb by his church is now being retold throughout the community. And Jesus wants everybody to know that he, as a religious leader, is nothing like these people. Let's be honest here. Jesus is declaring himself as a leader. He's putting himself out there as a spiritual leader of his day. And yet this is the reputation of the spiritual leaders going around. And he wants everybody to know he does not operate like these people. In fact, I don't know if you caught it, but in verse 12, he uses a very interesting word that sets him apart from the hired hands or the religious leaders. He says this, he owns the sheep. He owns the sheep. How many of you wanted a dog when you were a kid? And you had in your mind this image of owning a dog that it would just love you and snuggle with you and cuddle with you and you could dress it up and take pictures of it and put them on Instagram. And uh, you just had this vision of, of this is what kind of dog ownership looked like. And then this morning you were outside in minus 20 weather trying to get the thing to go to the bathroom so that you could scoop it up and carry it around in your pocket going back into the house. And suddenly you had another revelation about ownership and that is this it means responsibility 
The main difference here between Jesus and the religious leader or the hired hands of his day is that Jesus lives with a sense of responsibility towards us. Every shepherd knew that sheep were a lot of work. They were high maintenance. They lagged behind. They wandered off and followed the sheep in front of them wherever it was going. Uh, If one heads off in the direction, immediately a whole bunch go after it. They're oblivious to danger and they get tired easily or some people call them lazy. And Jesus calls us his sheep. And Jesus points out what's painfully obvious. These religious leaders, these hired hands, are not interested in doing the hard work of shepherding. They have no sense of ownership over you. They don't want to get their hands dirty with you. They don't want to be committed to you in any way that's going to require something from them. And in contrast to this, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And I am willing to put in the hard work required to guide and care and love my people. I'm willing to get my hands dirty. When things get messy, I'll not wander off. When you wander off, I'll chase after you. Jesus says, I'm willing to take ownership of you, even if that means taking ownership of your brokenness, of your sin, and of your pain. Jesus says, I'm willing to be there for you. And when you get thrown to the curb, when you get left behind, when people forget about you, I will come after you. If we read the whole passage in John chapter 10 from verse 1 to 18, you get the sense that Jesus is wound up. He's really intense here. Two different times he refers to himself as the gate, and then twice in the verses that we looked at, he refers to himself as the good shepherd. And it seems to us that he's upset. He's upset at how his hired hands have treated one of his sheep. These people who've been entrusted to care for God's people. The people who were supposed to live in a certain way so that when you came in contact with them, you got a sense of what God was like himself. And Jesus knows what you and I know. That someone, when someone gets mistreated by a pastor or by a religious leader or by a church or by a Christian, Jesus' fear is that person will now worry that maybe that's how God thinks about me too. That if the church kicked me to the side, maybe God has kicked me to the side. And Jesus steps into that, and he says, I am the good shepherd, and I am not like these people. So our first comparison, Jesus the good shepherd who lives with a sense of responsibility, willing to get his hands dirty to love and care for his sheep, versus the hired hands who abandon them. The next verse, verses 14, Jesus again refers to himself as the good shepherd. Now, I'm a little, I was a little unfamiliar with what shepherding actually meant, So I went on YouTube, the source of all truth, and um, I watched a number of videos of modern-day shepherding taking place. And my eyes were really opened. One of the things that I didn't realize was how much the shepherds talked to the sheep. So imagine for a second you've got like 100 sheep in front of you, and you're behind them, corralling them around, and they're dumb, and they're kind of wandering off, and as soon as one goes, a whole bunch go after it, and this one lays down and wants to have a sleep, and these people see some grass over there, and they go off to get it. The shepherd is in constant communication, moving and motivating, whistling to this one, calling to that one, gently with a stick, kind of tapping them and moving them along from point A to point B. Shepherding is hard, hard work. And Jesus gives us this image that says, look, if you're going to let me be your shepherd... This is going to be an ongoing, daily, hands-on relationship that I want to have in your life. Guiding and directing and showing you 
the way forward. But it's in these verses, too, that Jesus gives us our second comparison, where he says this, to be in a relationship with me or to be allowing me to shepherd you means that I'm going to know you in the same way that I know my heavenly Father. Now, Jesus, when he says this, adds a completely new angle to this metaphor. He takes it beyond kind of herding and swatting to something much more intimate. He says, the relationship that I have with my heavenly Father is the same kind of relationship that I want to have with my sheep. And that is a relationship ultimately of trust. Jesus lived in relationship with his heavenly father. It was a relationship of trust. When God spoke, he went. When the Lord moved in his life, Jesus obeyed. And God invites you and I into that same kind of relationship with him. And Jesus is saying, hey, I'm a leader? Yes, absolutely. But I'm not like the other leaders. And why is this so important? Because Jesus knows that you won't follow him if you don't trust him. You won't follow him if you do not trust him. I'm as skeptical of leaders as probably you are. Heaven knows in the media today you can see all kinds of reasons to see somebody leading something, somebody in charge of something, and all of us in our hearts have a little bit of skepticism towards them. Jesus is going out of his way in this story to say to you and to say to me, you can trust me. And I'm going to ask you to put your life into my hands. And if we're going to do this, then you have to be able to trust me. Then Jesus separates this metaphor even more by taking it to a whole other level when he says, I will lay down my life for my sheep. He says it three different times. Now in a normal shepherding world, a shepherd would be there. Let's say a wolf comes towards his sheep the shepherd would make some attempt to scare the wolf away. And if the wolf came closer, maybe even take a couple of swats at it. But if the wolf kept coming, the shepherd was not going to die for the sheep. There was no shepherd that was going to be devoured there on the spot to save one or maybe two sheep. They would take off. Let the sheep, or let the wolf eat the sheep and then come back in and take over. But again, Jesus is saying, I'm not like that. I'm willing to lay my life down. I'm willing to put the sheep's needs ahead of my own and sacrifice myself personally to them. And we know, because we know how this story plays out, that Jesus actually does this. 800 years before Jesus was even born, there was a prophecy in the book of Isaiah that said this. He, referring to Jesus, was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Jesus, the good shepherd, becomes the sheep and dies in our place so that our sins might be forgiven and so that we could have life and have it to the full. He is the good shepherd. Now again, Jesus has taken this imagery of shepherding to a whole other level than kind of common shepherding in, in Jesus' day. And it begged the question for those people hearing this story, and it begs the question for us today, will we let Jesus be our shepherd? Will we let him lead us, take ownership of all of our life, direct and guide and be in constant communication for us, lay down his life for us so that we can have not just life, but life, as the scriptures say, to the full. Now, we can't talk about shepherding this morning without going to that passage that probably, even if you never grew up in church, uh, you've, you're familiar with it, and that's the, sh <clears throat> the shepherding song 
that David wrote over a thousand years before even Jesus. David was a man who wrestled and struggled to put his faith in God. It was something that he was constantly struggling with. But there were many moments in his life where he did, and in reflecting on one of those moments, he writes these words that probably you could even recite, even if this is your church. The Lord is my shepherd. And David's reflection is, when the Lord is my shepherd, when the Lord is leading me, guiding, protecting, providing for me, I have no wants. He looks after everything that I need. But it's the last line of Psalm 23 that I love the most. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Now that word follow in the original language is a hunting word. It means it's going to chase you down. And I love that image of God's love and mercy chasing after us until it finds us. Because David experienced that so many times in his life. When David wandered off, the Lord chased him down. When David got distracted or hurt or strayed, the Lord came looking for him. When David needed correction, the Lord was there. It was his experience in life that when the Lord is shepherding me and when I stray, he comes and finds me. It's also what the blind man experienced because when he was kicked out of a temple by the religious leaders and when Jesus heard about it, he came back and he found him. And it's the story of the Christmas season that God has come looking for us. Surely goodness and mercy is hunting us down in the person of Jesus Christ. And even in this holiday season, it's the Lord's desire for each of you to know that goodness and to know that mercy. And so I don't know where you're at with your faith this morning, and I don't know um, where your heart is today, but it's my prayer that you would be open to letting Jesus be your shepherd. Let me pray for you. Lord, today we, we stop just for a moment and we think about those who maybe have been hurt by a pastor, religious leaders, or another Christian, and for whom maybe they've assumed that that means uh, that's how God thinks about me too. And Lord, this morning we pray that, that those folks would hear beyond anything else that you have come looking them and we live today with a sense of eyes wide open to our own responsibility as Christ followers to be mindful that when we have contact with people those folks should have a sense of this is what it's like to have contact with God and his graciousness and his kindness and Lord today we pray for those who maybe are feeling a bit lost who maybe feel as though they've wandered off or they've strayed or they're just kind of given up. That they would be reminded that this is the season when God has come looking for us and to bring us home.